0: is about to start. I'm going to try to put a little thing up saying you know, Genealogy Adventures is starting. Um, but today we're talking about work contracts. Friedman bro So Brian is making me do this show so I'm kind of upset because <laughs> I don't want to do it by myself <laughs> but he's making me do most of the talking since he did most of the talking at the last show. But yeah. um. Yeah, we're, we're working on Freeman Bureau work contracts and we're doing, um, talking about my family, the Yeldale family. We're using them as an example because they were the, they are the most elusive family probably in the Edgefield area. And um, basically, it's just really hard to, to search them. But we were able to find them when we were on the Freeman. Freedmen work contracts. We were able to find a man by the name of Burrell Yeldale. So let me give you a little background about first what the Freedmen contracts are. Freedmen Bureau contracts were contracts were established um, as far as in the war by by an act in March third, eighteen sixty five. Basically, they were supposed to supervise the relief and educational activities relating to refugees, the freedmen, including issuing rations clothing, and medicine. Okay, so y'all can tell I'm reading, but that's what it is. <laughs> um, they also took care of confiscated lands by the properties of former um, slave owners, uh, took over border states in areas like the District of, all, in all of the border states and the District of Columbia and Indian Territory. So those are what they are. Some of the, the documents that the Freedmen Bureau carried were local census records, marriage records, medical records, labor contracts, and a lot more. We're going to be discussing the labor contracts. My mother made a comment, she said to me that Brian and I be giving everything away, and, and we really don't. The bottom line is that we want to make sure we don't feel like African-American research is represented. And so that's our goal, to represent African-American research. You cannot research African-Americans the same way you do white Americans. It's just not something that can be done. We didn't have, um, you know, our names weren't listed after 1870. I mean, before 1870, well. they're certain, they didn't, we weren't, our marriages weren't documented as quickly as everybody else's were. Um, our deaths weren't documented as quickly as everybody else's so we, we were put in newspapers like everybody was unless they were searching for us, a runaway slave. You know, so we we, we have unconventional ways that we have to research our families in order to find them. And if unfortunately... I
1: huh? uh, if I can jump in. Yes. Even, even if you have free people of color um, who are here in America, it's still not necessarily really easy to find them. They were free. um. And again you have to use a different kind sometimes you have to use different records like when they had to go to the courthouse to register as free people of color um but again there are unique challenges even to researching free people of color who you can also find in the freedman the contracts so over to you donia yes
0: yeah, so with that being said because we had to do that kind of research We want to talk about that, and that's our our job. That's what Brian and I feel like we need to do, talk about the different ways that you search African-American history, research our families differently from the others, and that's where the labor contracts come in. Now, um, the labor contracts were basically contracts that showed when we worked, um, who we worked for, what we did, how much we got paid when you know if if there was a payment what our payment was um what as far as us doing this work and how long the contract lasted i believe that's all of the the aspects in it mm-hmm. so basically what happened was the yeldell family would do something like this you would see them in the 1870 census and then you wouldn't see them again Why was these things, using 1870 as an example. You'd see them in 1870 and then wouldn't see them again. Now, why wouldn't you see them again? Because they either changed their name, um, and I mean their full name, changed their surname, or just stopped recording themselves. They went into a hiding. Now, if any of those, if you guys have read my book, Comes to the Light, you know about John Yeldell. John Yeldell was my cousin. And John Yeldell, um, he was related to me through my grandfather's side of the family. And John Yeldell was a part of a very a conspiracy. Well, not a conspiracy. There was a, what is it called? A riot in Parksville that he was a part of. And they basically said he was the blame and shot this particular man and killed him john got away and in getting away he ran to the north and he changed his name his entire name he changed his name to reverend e f fleming elijah fleming and um he was hidden for five years because nobody knew where he was and they found out where he was by searching one of his brother-in-laws and um found him in pennsylvania and His story turned out to be so profound and so crazy that it was a 30-day long period from beginning to the end of the trial. And it made him, according to the New York Times, the most talked about colored man in the land. That was what they called him. But he changed his name, and we couldn't find him. It seems that as Brian and I did our research, that that was going on with all of our Yeldales after his little problem. So it was like after 1884, Yeldales were disappearing. They You would see them in one census record, and then you wouldn't see them again. And if you happened to find them, you would find them as somebody else. So... Right now, we have, I believe, at least three families that we know carry Yeldale blood, but go by a different name. The Fleming, which is F-L-E-M-O-N, not Fleming. Harrison, some Harrisons. And what's the other one?
1: Oh, what is the other one? Oh, Oh, gosh gone out of my head. I want to say Brunson, but it's not Brunson.
0: It's not Brunson. And it's not, it, it's not, I can't remember what the other one is. But then we have another family name by the name of Quarles where they interchange the names. Sometimes they're Quarles, sometimes they're Yeldales, and it could be the same person. But for whatever reason, they go and they say, oh, today I'm going to go by Donya Quarles. Um, oh, next week I'll be Donya Yeldale. You know, it's stuff like that. So we really have these problems. And um, for those that's on my page, yesterday I met with a new group of family members who were Yeldels. But guess what? They Their last name is Yelder, Y-E-L-D-E-R. But their father told them originally he is a Yeldel. But he had to change his name because he said he wasn't able to get jobs and he wasn't able to do certain things. So there's yet another name, Yeldur, that is not them. And this is why it's been so difficult finding our family, finding the Yeldale family. We believe that's at least one of the reasons why.
1: Well, the, so, the other reason as well is they don't, they live next to each other for a short period of time. Like we see mm-hmm. them all together in like a consensus. Next census, you either can't find them or they're living in different counties, they're living in different states. None of them are actually living next door to each other, which is kind of rare for my family because everyone tended to be, act like a little clan and, and stay, you know, actually stay living next to each other, not the elders. One will go no. off to Virginia, one will go off to North Carolina, one will go down to Georgia, one will go down to Texas. They're everywhere. They were everywhere,
0: Alabama, California, you name it, they hit it. They, yeah, no and and then they wouldn't contact you back afterwards. Mm-hmm. That was done. You weren't talking to them. It wasn't happening. So it, it, it was. It's, it's really crazy. It's really crazy. But that's our family. So we happened across the um, this. Our, our research is always them. Every now and then we fall back on them because then this is the other issue. They'll just show up on a on a census record. Living next door to somebody and it's one person. I can remember <laughs> Gail and I talking one time and she was like, "There's a Thomas Yeldell that lives next to my uncle," and I'm like, "Really?" And he disappears after that. That was an 1870 census. I have yet to find that man. Can't find him. Don't know where he is, and I don't. I don't even know who he is. I don't know how he could. Well, actually, well, no. Actually, it could be Burrell's son. Could be. So, but yeah, you know, at this point, I don't know who he is. He was on the 1870 census. His name was Thomas Yeldell. And let me say this, all Yeldells are related. They come from one white family that originated out of Edgefield. But they all are related. So if you carry that white blood, then you're related. Black, white, Native American, it does not matter. I'm sorry, y'all. I feel, I look terrible. (laughs) I hate, I'm hating how I'm looking right now, so I'm sorry. But um, they are, yeah, they are, they're they're all related. So we started doing our research, and every now and then we'll just fall back into the Yaldales and just try to find something, and this time we lucked up. We ended up finding Burrell on a work contract. His name is Barrel Yeldell. Finding Borel Yeldell on this work contract was like a blessing because when we found him, we also found um, all of the, we also found about 12 of his kids. Originally, he started out, we knew he had at least two. But by the time we got finished with that work contract, we found 12 boys. So it, it was just, it was amazing. Um, I couldn't believe what it was we were going, I, I was so excited to find these things. And now, you know, we had them. And it was all through the, the, the labor contracts. So Brian is, every now and then, Brian may post up a link. He may show you where certain things are. Brian, I'm having trouble pulling some of that stuff up. So you're really going to have to jump in on this.
1: Well, I'm afraid my, my tablet's not playing fair. So what I'll do is I will post as much as I can after the in you know in the comments section for this video after the video is done because unfortunately my my tablet's not it's not playing nice yeah. today.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm having issues over here. I'm thinking it's because I'm under. Well, I'm not under anything. I'm still outside, but I don't know what's going on. So anyway, um, let me look at my other thing. See what I can get. So
1: as like Donnie was saying, the really good thing was you know, when we started the journey with Burrell, um, we found two of his kids. Those lines were you know, pretty relatively easy to trace. And I can't even remember what made Donnie actually think to look in the Friedman records for more information about Burrell. So she typed I don't it know. in. But you did, you typed it in and there it was. There was this amazing work contract. And as I said, it listed all of it, it listed a lot more of his children than what we had, so we had a lot more people to to research. But the thing that kind of blew our minds were the stipulations within the work within the work contracts, because um, you would think it would be kind of typical and and straightforward. So people were even for doing the same job, people were getting paid different amounts. Some of it was financial. You know, they would agree that every month someone was going to get I don't know just off the top of my head. Twenty dollars, you know, twenty dollars for their service. Um, but you know, they might get food, like so many bushels of corn, so many bushels of barley, so many bushels of wheat. They would some would get clothes, some wouldn't get clothes. But then it was the the kind of language that I had never seen in a contract before. Like, you had to have the, in the contracts the newly freed people who are working for their former masters. Um, had to have a cheerful disposition. That those actual words were in the were in these contracts. No back chat, No arguing. They weren't supposed to like have a sullen demeanor. You were supposed to be happy and cheerful. Um, you had to be orderly. You had to be respectful. Just as I said, it was um, it was just a real, real kind of glimpse into what you know what their life was like after they were freed. Right.
0: So I'm trying to pull it up. I'm I'm trying. I, I think I got it now, and that way we can work a little better, as far as where we you know where we found stuff. But I want to give you guys some of the names.
1: Oh, and before I forget, the Friedman Contracts, and I will I will be posting a link to this. They are freely available to access and to read on FamilySearch.org. Um some of them are indexed, so you can actually go to the search, type in your little search criteria, and it'll pop up. Others, unfortunately, they just took a whole roll a whole mime, uh, what do you what are they call Mimeographed role of records and just digitized the whole role. So you literally have to go contract by contract by contract to start finding the ones for your ancestors.
0: Right. Okay, so Burrell Yeldell was originally owned by a woman named Elizabeth Glanton Yeldell. Um, His name can be found in the Edgefield Slave Record book under the Yeldell name. He was actually there. You could see him being there the entire time. He was owned originally by William Yeldell, which was the... um, the, the main Yeldale in the Edgefield area in the ninety six area. And that family was William and Mary Yeldale and he they had so many children. Um and they had they did own a lot of slaves, but the thing about the Yeldales in Edgefield was that they actually gave them trades. So they were they were in high demand. They were demand trades like blacksmith, seamstress, carpenter, you know, they, They made sure that their enslaved people could cook, could do whatever it is that they needed to do. And because they were like that, this made them high demand, and they were able to take care of themselves. The other thing that these slave owners did that other slave owners were not known to do was if someone died, if an enslaved person died, you know, you have an unmarked grave somewhere, not them. They were all buried with their white family members. So that was an unusual thing for something like that to happen for them to do something like that. But the last his last owner was was a woman by the name Elizabeth Glanton Yeldale, and she was married to one of the sons of actually no she was a daughter of mm-hmm. of William Yeldale. Now the contract itself I'm pulling that up now. The contract itself was between one of the other sons, Jasper H Yeldell and Burrell Yeldell. Now, this is a big deal for me and my family because I'm we're under the assumption right now that Jasper may have been the father of my family to a certain degree, which connects us to the Brooks line. I, in a way, I do believe that, but in another way, I don't because I don't have a well, right now, we're not finding a big connection via DNA DNA to the white Yeldales in that way. It's more of a distant. And if this man was uh, like a grandfather or a great, well, he would have been a two-time great-grandfather. I just think that there should be more DNA showing. I could be wrong, but thankfully, we got some things to handle that. But I could be wrong. And um, But right now, we believe Jasper is the is the father to my line of yeldales and with that being said and this is not showing up okay there I go jasper was the one that ended up having burrell and putting him to work on his on his land so when they were put to work on the land they also lived on the land so here's lesson number one when you're looking at your census record and you see where your family is living, keep going above them. If you you got to turn the page backwards or whatever, let's say you starting on page one and you're like right at the top and you have a white family living and then it's a whole bunch of black families. They're probably living on their land. And if they're living on their land, then that's, somebody you need them you can look at as possibly being your slave owner your person's slave owner because a lot of them did not leave the land that they were living on they basically just kind of stayed where they were and signed up with these um labor contracts to start working the land and being paid for it so i just pulled up a contract and like uh brian said the wording on these contracts is something else you can't imagine what you what you get from these things um but it says at the top it is very legal you know it, it says what the agreement is who's the agreement between so this agreement was between jasper h yeldale of edgefield and the freedmen they didn't call names out at that particular point and they were talking about the work that they needed them to do um, I'm on my laptop, you guys. So I'm trying to pull it up and just give me a moment. Um, it also went in. The contract was explaining that it was a year-long contract, and everything that they needed to do, they needed to be make sure that they were. Let me read. This is what Brian was talking about. It says the length. Lim-
1: I was just Go going ahead. to say before you do that, while you're pulling it up, the interesting thing for us is our ancestors lived in Edgefield, but Edgefield, for whatever reason, didn't have a Freedmen's Bureau office. The nearest Freedmen's Bureau office is in Newbury. So even though everyone involved in this contract lived in Edgefield, the contract itself has the word Newbury. Or is it no, Newbury or Aiken. At Aiken. Aiken. It's got... I guess that they, you know, they were actually contracted in Aiken. Right. So yeah. So that that's worth bearing in mind as well. If you're searching for an ancestor and you, you know you find a name that's either the same or similar, but the the town or the office that it was raised in is different, still have a look at it and have a look at all the names because that could still very well be your ancestor.
0: Sorry about that. Go ahead. No, no problem. No problem. That was something that needed to be mentioned. So basically, basically, it says that these people are going to be domestic servants on the plantation. I'm going to say it's good. They agree to work in the capacity of labor in. Husbandry, I believe that says, and domestic servants on the plantation of the said Jasper H. Yeldell for the, the term of 12 months commencing on the first day of January, 1866. Till then, they have to work faithfully, honestly, and diligently and to the best of their skill and and ability. This is what that says. So I'm looking at this like, and that's actually a cleaner version of some of the contracts that we've read. Because some of them say that you have to allow them to discipline your child if your child is doing something that they didn't have anything, they had no business doing. Like these contract, it's amazing the stuff that they say. But this one was actually somewhat clear. And then it started to go into the fact what they had to do. So they had to, everything that you would do to cultivate the land, harvesting the crops, and things of that nature. So they talk about that, and as it goes through, it says what, how he would pay them, and this was the thing that got me the most. If you got sick, you weren't getting paid. You had to continue to work. You had to continue to do what you were going to do, but if you got so sick, it didn't matter. You still weren't going to get paid, and payment for them was housing, food, and clothes, Certain clothes they had to, the, the owner had to give them because the owner was the one that wanted them to work in the house, so it was more or less a uniform. So that wasn't the clothing they were talking about. They would get paid to have shoes. You know, that was their payment, shoes, clothes, and food, and how much of it, it you would get. But here are the names. This is where it became wonderful because we started to learn the names of Burrell's children. And then when we learned the names of Burrell's children, we also started to learn the names of his children's children. So we got grandchildren. We never got the women. We didn't know how what the wives' names were. But we definitely got all a lot of his sons and um, some grandchildren. So his Donna, children name go
1: ahead. Is that the contract where they have to get written permission to be able to leave the plantation? was that that one remember um, were, we, we looked at a contract where the act where the free people bear in mind these people were no longer slaves they were free no
0: that wasn't Yaledale's. That was the one with Martha but Martha didn't have that stipulation on her
1: that's right that's right yeah. so imagine this you're freed men and women you're getting some sort of some sort of comp, you know compensation for your work whether it's financial or not. But you had some of these contracts actually said you and your family had to get written permission to leave. You wanted to go into town, visit relatives, whatever you wanted to do, you still had to have something in writing to authorize your absence. Just think about that one for a hot minute.
0: Sorry. Right. No, that's that's right. So here's the thing. He has agreed, Jasper Yodel has agreed to furnish quarters and fuel for the said freemen and their families and to pay the wages and food and clothing specified opposite of their respective duties and names and so on and so forth. So his contract was actually a lot better than everybody else's because he was giving them food, he was giving them housing, he was making sure they had heat, he was giving them clothes and, and a small stipend. A small amount of money. I'm telling y'all right now, the other contracts that we came across, they didn't have all that. They were not getting all that. So the Dells were a different type, a different breed of people. And don't get me wrong when I say that when the black Dells they just disappeared. The white Dells did the exact same thing. They were all of a sudden, bam, gone. Don't see them no more. You don't know where they went and we don't know why. And to this day we just we just don't we have no idea why that's happening. So, um then we started coming to the names. This is when our mouths dropped to the floor. Not only were we getting their names, we also ended up getting ages. So we were able to know what year they were born. We were able to know <laughs> what it was that they were doing. We were able I mean, it was just how many children they had. It was the most Awesome contract we could ever find. Like, I, I don't, I don't think we could have done that. So here's an example of some. You have Harry, age 43. He was receiving $80 and food. His wife wasn't employed, and he, and he didn't have children. This is how, how detailed this particular contract is. Then he had a son. Burrell had a son named George, 40 years old. He, and George had two children. His children's name were Georgia Ann, who was 15, and Joe, who was 12. He received $95 in food, and it looks like he even got an acre of land, and his wife was not employed. Then you have Burrell himself. He was 60 years old, four children, Francis, 20, Ann, 18, Emma, I believe her name is, is 16, and Bristol was 13. They received $100, got food, a half an acre of land, and wife was not employed, but she was fed. And they feed the younger children. So mind you, he already had four that was listed that could work. All of the kids that could work, their names would be listed and their ages would be listed. But then there were still two younger ones. So that's giving you six right here. Then you had the other, the older ones, which was people like Harry and George. So that's giving you that. Then you go over to the next page. The next page listed, gotta go up. Their son Tom. And Tom was 42 and he had a wife and he had two children that we were counting. Margaret at 12 and Susan at 10. They received $120 in food. And then Tom had four more children who were non-workers, so they were too young to list them. So that's why you don't get it. So it was six. Now, here's the thing about Tom. Tom is the father of a woman named Margaret Yeldell. Margaret Yeldell married someone by the name of Nero Talbert. When I tell y'all that family and I have been working together for so many years trying to find out who Margaret was... It was ridiculous. So to be able to provide something like this to them finally after all these years was probably just a, I don't know how they felt about it, but I know how I felt about it. And I was just so glad to be able to, you know, really give them something like that. But Margaret Yeldell is the, this Margaret Yeldell that's listed right here is the same Margaret Yeldell that married Nero Toward. Then you had another son named Edmund. Edmund was 36. He had a wife, and he had a son named Sam. Um, and they also received $122, and then he had three more children. So Edmund has four kids that we don't know about. We don't know their names. or, or Well, three children we don't know about, but one of them we do. Four is total. Then there's another kid by the name of Jim. Age 17, he got $48, food and clothing, and two suits. He was probably an in-house worker because the suit. So he was probably an in-house slave, and he probably had to do, you know, different things like that. Then there was Pickens, age 17. He received $42, also in-house. He received suit, and um, what is this?
1: So yeah, the real joy about these contracts, we're not only just talking about cursive writing, we are talking about 19th century cursive writing. So sometimes you have to do a bit of inter- trying to interpret what, what the words are.
0: Right. So those were some of the kids, and then we that we already had. So in total, we have Francis and Emma. Bristol or Brister, we already knew who he, we already had him. We had a Burrell Jr. So these were probably some of those younger kids that were not counted. Their names weren't listed, but they were there, but their names were not listed under Burrell. Then he also had Tom, Harry, George, and Edmund. All we knew about was Brister and Burrell at first, and now we got all of this. And in doing all of this, I was friended by three separate Yeldale families, and now they're all connected because of this one man, and it was because of this one contract. Every last one of those families now know each, they know of each other. I don't know how much they, you know, talk to each other, but they stretched out. Those families stretched out from Ohio to Virginia Beach to, I mean, you name it, <laughs> Newport News, I mean, you name it, that's where they are. They they stretched out, and their names were either different or they knew that they were Yell but they had no idea who they came from. And this contract did it. This contract brought it all out. And it was amazing. Finding this contract was like finding gold because then we started to connect names that we didn't know. Like, didn't we um, – connect the guy who showed up in the Yeldell family and we didn't know who they were under the quarrels line of George?
1: Yeah, I can't remember who it was. But as you were saying, because we had suspected years ago that there was a Yeldell-Talbert-Tolbert link, but we didn't know what it was. And we had Margaret in our tree, as you said, married to Nero, but we had no idea what her maiden name was. You find a contract like that, bam, not only do you get the connection, Like you said, you can actually provide other family members with the maiden name of an ancestor and say, this is how we're related. Right. Actually, knowing knowing who he was working for, we can go back to that, his former enslavers and that whole family, start looking at slave deeds, probate records, things like moves. Because now we have the names of, because these probably aren't all of the kids that Borel had, but it's a heck of a lot more than what we had to start with. So we can try to figure out, well, the other people mentioned in these wills, they could be Burrell's siblings. They could be his aunts, his cousins, Will he give him something that could be kind of
0: That's right. That's absolutely right. And um, because this is happening the way that it did, now I, I have family members that we know how they all connect. I know I've connected maybe three or, or um, I know I've connected maybe three, definitely four families to this one man. But I'm also learning as we do the research on Burrell that probably all of the African-American Yeldells came from him. If they didn't come from him, then they came straight from the white Yeldells. So somewhere down the line, my family crossed either the white Yeldell family or Burrell's family. That's what we're looking at. It's one of the two. And that's how my Yeldale line connects. So I'm glad that I'm finally at that point. I'm telling y'all right now, it took me 25 years to do that. 25 years to find something like that because that was my ultimate goal. That was my reasoning for researching to find out more about the Yeldale clan. And I just got there. So, we have to know. This is why Brian and I share what we do. This is why we we are really pushing this forward because black research is so different. It's 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 nothing like it's it's not like any other research there is. The African American research is totally different, and um, I, I'm loving it. And Brian, we have comments. I don't know if you're able to see them, but I finally got.
1: I was going to uh, give a shout out to Stuart. Hey, Stewart, good to see you here.
0: <laughs> okay yeah we have we have some comments here so let me let me see yes Kevin it, it was a massive farm plantation it was it was really really big and it was crazy <laughs> so the other thing that we wanted to talk about as far as the Freedman contracts was my great-great-grandmother Martha now Martha was a breeder and that's the other thing because she was a breeder she could have made it with one of the one of his sons And some of those kids could actually be her children. So that's another reason why I'm looking at things. But Martha's, I'm pulling hers up now. Martha's contract was under the Brooks line. And she originally was sold um, from Preston Brooks to a man named Lemuel Brooks, who I believe was his cousin. And um, she never left. She never left the Brooks line. She never changed her name but she changed her children's names. So the thing about Martha was in 1870, I saw her and I saw my great grandfather and the rest of his siblings all listed as Brookses. But then in 1880, she was no longer, she was listed as a Brooks, but her children were now Yaledales, her boys, the boys that she had left that was still living in the household. They were all Yaledales. And, I didn't know why, and I didn't understand why. And originally, I was like, oh, my God, maybe we're not Dales at all. Maybe we're Brookses. Maybe, you know, we don't have that bloodline connection. But I'm I'm happy to say that we do. We do have a, a bloodline connection. So my mom don't have to be indignant with me no more and tell me I am a Yelldale because she was indignant as hell when I told her that. She was like, uh, excuse me, but I'm a Yelldale. I don't know what you're talking about. So that that was my mom. She was she was livid when I first told her that. But we do carry the Yelle bloodline, but we also carry Brooks bloodline. And when Martha was um when Martha was sold to Lemuel Brooks, there was a contract written for her as well. And we happened to cross that one too. Once we found this this contract for Burrell, we turned around and was like, oh okay. Let's start looking for some more contracts for people that we don't know about. Let's just, you know, cuz you run with that stuff. Once you find one, you can start looking for everybody under the same thing. You you just start going because it's 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 a way. It's a it's one of the things that you do. So that's what we did. We started to look for Martha and under those contracts and thank you Jesus. I found her. I found a contract. And no, Brian, you found that contract, right? Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, Brian found the found Martha's contract, and so when we found Martha's contract, this was the this was her with her last owner Lemuel Brooks. Now this one right here, this contract, it's
1: <laughs> is fun. one of those
0: ones where what we're talking about, if I'm not mistaken. But what's funny about it is the rules that apply to a certain set of freedmen did not apply to her. Martha, now you heard the amount of money that was being received by the Yeldales. They were getting $100 here, depending upon their age, $40 here, as high as $122. But my great-great-grandmother received $600. Why? That's because she was a child. I don't care what nobody say. She was was a relative of theirs. So they were taking... She was a relation. She was a relation.
1: You know, one of one of the things that I would really encourage is as you spend more time reading through the contracts, really pay attention to the language and really start clocking exceptions. Because as Donnie is going to probably read now, in this particular contract, there's more than one there's more than one formerly enslaved person mentioned. Everyone else had more or less the same terms and conditions in their contract. Martha nothing like the others. So nothing. it's a matter of, so it's a matter of kind of being aware and clocking those exceptions and then start trying to trying to rationalize or trying to think, well wait a minute, why is why is this one person or why are these two people being treated differently than everyone else?
0: That's, that's exactly. Yeah. Okay. So here it is. <laughs> so this again, this is a contract. The the beginning of the contract goes Um, the same as, as it did for Preston, I mean Preston, for Jasper and the rest of them. But here's the reading on some parts of it. It says, all work required by the owner Lemuel Brooks or his agent on the plantation and the usual and necessary attention to the stack and other businesses of necessity on Sundays one of the above-named men and one of the above-named women must remain at the home. So that meant that you couldn't go to church. You had a family member that they you didn't have, somebody always had to be available to this particular slave owner. You you couldn't, everybody couldn't, there was no day off. You had to pick and choose who was going to be the days off. Um, then he said that, Let me see. At home each Sunday for for the above named purpose, they will hinder a cheerful and obedient behavior. Don't this sound different from the other contract, y'all? I mean, this is crazy. These are two. To- these, uh, it, it doesn't make any sense. But they are literally coming out and just telling them. You're still a slave. I just got to pay you. But you still my slave. You still got to work for me, and you're going to work for me the way I want you to, and that's that. Um, Then he says, they uh, say, cheerful obedience to all reasonable orders and respectful in behavior. And then he says he gives the privilege Oh, and the family gives the privilege to the said Lemuel Brooks to correct any of their children. Come on now. So he letting them know, I'm still going to beat y'all. It's going to be the same. I'm still going to do. This This is where my great-great-grandmother came from. She was making me find this different kind of stuff back when I was writing my book. She was making me find stuff like this because she really wanted me to know who she lived with and the type of people that she had to deal with. Like it was amazing that the stuff that she went through and it really pointed out to me why I can take the stuff that I can take now because I swear I couldn't, I, I, I just, my hat goes off to her.
1: But again, how twisty is the language? You were They weren't giving Lemuel and his family the right. You're giving them the privilege. Right. Discipline your children. Right. I'm just gonna. Exactly. I'm just gonna <laughs>
0: You gonna let that let that melanin.
1: <laughs> let that. I'm gonna let that percolate.
0: So now, as far as let me see where it says discharge, because I want to make sure I'm right. So the people that his contract, these people, they didn't receive money. The first set, they weren't receiving money, and those families, this was the names. We don't have a, a, a Their names were Ben, Phyllis, Adam, Willis, Nancy, Ned, and Harriet. And these were all people that were owned by Lemuel Brooks. Now, mind you guys, this was totally separate from my great-great-grandmothers because then as you go down, then you see the agreement between Lemuel and Martha. And it says, this agreement made, into this day between Lemuel Brooks, and of the one part, and Martha, a freed woman of the second part. Now I want to go back through it's the legal, you know, the legal stuff. It said Lemuel Brooks contracts, stipulates, and agrees on his part to finit to is that furnish to furnish fuel and quarters and pay $600 per month on the part to, I mean, to the above named Martha, and the contract stipulates and agrees on the part of herself and her children to furnish her own food and clothing, shoes, and medical attention. So he wasn't going to, quote, unquote, take care of her, but not one of those other people that were enslaved that I named you received a dime. All they got was quarters and food. She got quarters, food, and then $600. And then she would be able to go ahead and take care of her children the way she needed to do. She did not get, there is nothing in here where he says that he has the right to correct her kids. There is nothing in here that says that they have to be obedient. He's not using any of those words for her. None of them. So it was just amazing to see this particular contract and learn that my great great grandmother went through what she went through and 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 what she got. I was I was totally I was just taken aback by this entire thing. But that's those are her contracts. This is the, these are the contracts that we found and what it does and how it works for African Americans. So I definitely suggest that when you're doing your research on your family Go and try and find some freedmen contracts, whether it's bank records, marriage records, um, anything about land, any any kind of contract you can think of. Pay attention to your census record. Look at your census record. Figure out whose land they're living on. First and foremost, 1870 and 1880, you're going to see a white family, and then you're going to see a list of blacks. When you're seeing that, that's because those lists of books are living on that white family's land. If you look, it'll tell you how much personal property is um, for for the white family and what the real estate property is. It's the real estate property that is what our families are living on. So you get to see it, and every time it stops, it goes to the next white family. So I'm, that's something that you need to pay attention to when you're doing your research on your on your family. Look at all of that information. And once you get all of that information, you could then turn around, and that may be your slave owner and you not even know it, because then you'll be able to look.
1: Go uh, ahead, Brian. Kevin, Kevin, I have seen some Peterson contracts. I can't remember off the top of my head who they're for, but I ha- I have seen them. I haven't looked for any in the Washington families, but so I, I couldn't tell you about them. But I've definitely seen them for Peterson's. Um, other kinds of things that you can find with the in the Freedmen Bureau records are things like court cases. Because you know, we've spoken a little bit before, whether you were free or enslaved, you couldn't sue white people. You have to have a white person act as a proxy for you. That did not stop during Reconstruction. Um, I found two you know, two of my ancestors, direct ancestors uh, in Virginia, one of them was seen because his white grandfather had left him an inheritance while he was still in And he,
0: but he still a bit white to see me. You breaking up, Brian, yeah. say it again. You breaking oh, up, you? say it again. Oh, can you hear me now? Yep. Can
1: you hear me okay? So um, he didn't get the money. He wanted to sue he couldn't sue the person who didn't pay out the money to him so he still needed to get a white person to do that so court records as well amazing amazing resource. And but again there's a lot of distressing stuff you know people are applying to the freedmen bureau you know they're living in louisiana but they had roots in virginia they were desperate desperate to get back to their people they would apply to the freedmen's bureau for a train ticket to be able to get back to virginia or post advertisements in newspapers in Virginia. You know, I was born there, grew up there, I've got family there, I haven't been in Virginia for twenty or thirty years. Does anyone know what happened to this family? Desperate. Desperate to hear news. So there's a lot there's a lot of stuff going on in there. It's one of the just one of the most amazing resources.
0: It is. It really is. And and again, you know, I think that if people, if African Americans, when they're doing their research and they start looking at paying attention, because here's the thing, have you ever noticed when you're doing your research and you read the census record and then you go back to that same census record and you find something totally different that wasn't there, that you felt like just wasn't there the last time? That's something that Brian and I are trying to stop you guys from doing because that's only because you didn't know to look for that when you first started researching. So I didn't know to look at my census record and pay attention to what the real estate and what the personal estate was. I didn't know to do that. I literally had to keep going back and learning more and more and more. This is what's missing in in things like um, Finding Your Roots and uh, what's the other show? Who Do You Think You Are?, they're not teaching they're not teaching us to do that they're not teaching us to look at stuff like that why because unfortunately white people don't have to pay attention to that that's not necessarily something that they have to pay attention to i'm not saying that it'll come to a a point where they may you know These certain things they don't they need to look at. It may come that way, but for us, it's literally mandatory because once we get past, once we realize that we got to go past the 1870 census, we're lost. We have no names, so we have to. We those are the things that we must pay attention to. We must pay attention to those different things like the personal estate, the real estate, um, on on death records. You need to pay attention to who the informant is. You need to pay attention to where they're being buried because at that point you might be able to point them out or at least find them, find out the area of which they were buried in. Like my great-grandmother, Katie, she wasn't, we don't have, there's not a stone on her thing. But because I have her death certificate, I do know that she was buried at Bailey Bethel Church. See, if I didn't have that death certificate and I didn't pay attention to that, I wouldn't know where she was. But now oh, I have Kevin. a
1: few. Huh? Oh, sorry, Kevin, the The nearest ones for Edgefield, the nearest offices, Friedman offices for Edgefield would be? Aiken. Abbey, Aiken, Abbeville, and Newbury. Right. Those were the big three.
0: Right. So, I mean, those are the things that we need to really start paying attention to when we do our research. Um, what's another thing that...
1: Well, I was just going to build up, uh, expand expand a little bit more about the 1870 census, because a lot of times what Donnie and will do is if we're really, really stuck trying to get a handle on a, an ancestor that we've just, or relation that's newly discovered. We will look at who they're living around on the 1870 census. We'll go to the first white person that's listed see how much property they owned like I think it was a shepherd who owned like 15,000 acres of land
0: oh got you
1: a whole lot of black families were on that land until you get to the next white person who may have owned like 900 acres so we were looking at all of the families who were living in that 1500 you know 15,000 acre plot or 1500 acres sorry plot really like, they had been by the same
0: you broke up. You breaking up, Brian? Okay. Do it again. So,
1: <laughs> so even though they weren't directly relevant to the person we were looking at, we knew that some way, shape, or form, they were going to come back into the picture. Mm-hmm. So it's it's building on what Donnie was saying when we're looking at census returns, especially that 1871. We really do have to look. African Americans have to look at it through a different lens than anyone else, and those things like property value, how the property value who was living on that land, critical for for our research.
0: Yes, yes, and see the thing is is that once you do find out who who owned the land that they were living on, you can start paying attention to like what Brian was saying: their land records, their deeds, and what they left, and the different wills that they left to their children and, and so on and so forth. So take, you know, Thomas Jefferson, for example, which is not, well, he's our family member, <laughs> but he was in so much debt that even though he was supposed to free some of his slaves, a lot of people don't realize that they weren't freed outside of Sally Hemings kids. Am I correct?
1: For the most part. That's right.
0: So those slaves had to be sold off to somebody. Well, it's, it, it, it may be written down in a will. It may be written down in a um, in a statement. You may find it in a newspaper because newspapers, they put up when land is being sold, not just when land. Let me rephrase that. When property is being sold, and it'll say executor sale, and, it, and it'll be in newspapers.com. So I strongly suggest that that's another thing that you start paying attention to because whether we want to realize it or not, Even though we may not find an obituary for our family members, specifically in South Carolina, until the late 50s, you're seeing other stuff in there that you never thought you would have seen. So you're seeing um, talking about estate sales. And if you see that, then you know where to go to find that, that particular record and start looking for your family's names. This is what Gloria Lucas did when she wrote the um edgefield slave record book she went to the courthouse she sat down and she went through every last one of those books and she wrote down all of these names to all of these different people who went through their their wills and wrote down names of who had who had them and who it was then going to and was able to transfer like that her transcribing that information for everybody was so big and she went so unrecognized for doing that and it's it, this is what all of this is about and and that's why brian and i are like you know what we need to share how to do african-american research because gates know it's a diff it's a difference he knows it's a difference people from who do you think you are know it's a difference and to me genie white genealogists who do their research for their children they know it's a difference, and they, and and some of them recognize that difference, but some of them they don't, and they don't want to help. But we have to keep pushing forward, and this is how we do it.
1: And I also have another little tip, because a lot, you know, every once in a while, when Don and I are doing our research, we will find a white enslaver who died intestate, and that meant that they died without a will. But we're seasoned enough genealogists to know that, say, for instance, you know, Jeremiah Smith died 18, you know, 18, I don't know, 23, without a will. I know to go to the Edgefield Advertiser, which is one of the big newspapers in Edgefield County, go to 1823, roughly a couple of, you know, a couple of weeks to a couple of months after he died to look for an administrator sale. Yeah. And time yep. to ten. I'll see you know one of those really disturbing adverts, Prime Negro for sale, you know Jeremiah Smith, administrator estate sale, yep. and it will start listing those names.
0: Yep. Then you start seeing, so you still it, it won't go away. So it's always a way to find it when even when you have a block, we can find our families, and and it's time for us to know how to do it. It's time for us to know how to do it. So okay. So,
1: I think we're about I think we're getting ready to say the same thing yet again.
0: Go ahead. I'm, going to say, um,
1: I'm sure Johnny's gonna wrap it up. But if you guys have any questions, please, please feel free to ask.
0: Yes, we're we're always ready to do it. And um, I hope you guys enjoyed this show. Uh, it 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 started out kind of rough <laughs> because we just we just having our issues or what have you. But it did start out kind of rough. But let's um next week's show. We're going to talk about, I found cousins of a different race. What do I do now? So we all have those problems where we need to contact somebody and we all, you know, and we find out that it is someone of a different race, whether it be white or black, we're kind of, we don't know how they're going to respond. We don't know what they're going to say. So we're trying to, you know, give off some some advice on what we had to deal with with certain people when they didn't want to contact us, and then certain people, when they were just gung ho, um, we want we, we wanted to we want to stir the pot a little bit, and just see how people feel about that.
1: So Kevin had a good idea. He posted something really good in the comments. He's saying it would be uh, a show idea uh, would be to show how you document which tools you use. Unfortunately, okay. Facebook Live comes with so many limitations. Trust me, there are so many times as we're talking. If there was, a, if there had been an easy way for us to actually share the contracts that Donnie was reading, we would do it. So, totally agree with you, Kevin. Would love to be able to do that, but unfortunately, Facebook Live—it's just not flexible enough to allow us to do it.
0: Yeah, sometimes it's—it's it's almost like the connection won't share a page or we can't share pictures. You can't share pictures at all. So, for example, last week, well, the last time we, you know, was on the show, I, Brian had some pictures for me to show and I couldn't I couldn't um, contact the pictures. I couldn't add the pictures. And then we weren't able to actually add some of the links until after the show ended. So we will be giving you the links to the contracts um, because family search is free. So you'll be able to see it for certain, and um, we will be sharing the links to the contract for both Brian, for both Martha, and um, and for Burrell and his children. But next week's, you know, we are real glad that you guys were able to, you know, join us. And like I said, our next show is gonna be the fourth Sunday, and then starting in May we'll go back to the first Sunday because we'll we'll still have, like, a week in between to get ready for the next show. Yeah, it's um, just
1: this much because Easter fell on the first Sunday. You know, when we know a lot of people go to church and spend, you know, spending time with their family. We just decided to push it back a week.
0: Right. I do want to share one thing. I want to talk about the Sheila, the, the foundation, the fund. Oh, yes. Yes, so I don't know how many of you guys you know some of you follow me and Brian and we try to we try to post everything that we get. We got some great news. We were able to um, secure Howard University to help us with our DNA funds. So basically what they're gonna be doing is that they're going to uh, take over the comparison and create helping us create the right tree, a big tree that will connect all of our families. Now, what does this do? This will show that Edgefield is related. Number one, this will bring across some people where we know we're related by paper, but can't find it via DNA. It's going to do stuff like that. Um, the well, other thing that, it, ha- huh?
1: I think you meant the other way around. We know that we're related what? through, we know that we're related through DNA, but we can't find the paper trail.
0: Oh, yeah, actually both, because we have some where we have the paper trail, but it doesn't show up in the DNA. So, for example, Don Kelly doesn't match me, but I see her. You know, so, yep. yeah, we this it's actually both ways. So that's going to be happening. And what's great about it is it's going to have the opportunity to actually get this story told the way it's supposed to be. It's truthfully done. I don't mean by just black people or just white people, just truthfully. So then the people are actually going to know that I am related to this white man or I am related to this Native American woman or, you know, and this is how we do it and this is why it was the way it was. So they're going to, you know, they're going to fight through the endogamy with us. I can't wait because um, <laughs> I am waiting for them to see what we already know. Because right now, a, Dr. Jackson is like, oh, I just want the DNA. Yeah, we'll be able to prove it. And I'm looking at like her like, okay, wait till you see them three cousins that married the other three first cousins who then their children turned around and married their first cousins. Over.
1: His parents, his, yeah. His yeah. Parents with second cousins.
0: Whose parents were second cousins. Yeah, we're going to let you see that for yourself. And then you're going to call me like, wait a minute, what, what, what is this? And, and we already know. So, but what's great about it is this is going to be able to allow different disciplines to work together. So we're looking at history. We're looking at biology. We're looking at um, anthropology, anthropology majors. Yeah, all of them are gonna be able to work together. And then she said something to me even more um, fascinating. Do you have any family members, Danya, that attend some of the HBCUs in the DC, Maryland, Virginia area? And I said, Well, I mean, I know we have kids that go to school, you know, and and uh, but where they are, I'm not, I'm not sure. She was like, Well, let's bring them in. So she's talking about bringing. If I have somebody that goes to school in Morgan. They can be a part of this. So we're talking about bringing HBCUs all into this. So it's become huge, and it's going to be big. So please, donate to the fund, because if you can give just $10 to the fund and you receive a free kit, you give $10, that's paying it forward. That's keeping it moving and keeping it going so that we could really get this done. And then submit your DNA so that we can add it to this project. So if you want to submit your DNA, and if you come from the Edgefield area or you know that you come from the Edgefield area, you can submit your DNA to Fund at gmail.com. We're collecting as much as we can right now so that when they're ready to start testing, because I think that's going to happen within a month, maybe a month and a half, when they're ready to start doing the test, I want to be able to give them at least a 100 a hundred samples to get out there. So help me start getting that done, you guys. Start sending in your raw data because that's what you have to send. You have to send your raw data, which is the same thing that you had to do when you uploaded to GEDmatch or you uploaded to MyHeritage. You download that raw data. All we need is that raw data. You email it to Fund at gmail.com, and we'll collect them. And then when it's time to send it off, we will send it all off to them, and then they will start working it out. But so if you have questions, what, go ahead, okay. Brian.
1: So basically what Howard is doing is what's called triangulation. So if you're familiar with um, oh, it's not, uh, finding your roots, you know when Dr. Gates is doing the whole kind of genetic genealogy bit, and you see the little splash with the, the chromosomes in the segment? That's what Howard University is doing. They're doing what's called segmentology. So, you know, they're gonna be stacking up people's DNA, seeing where we have, you know, shared shared segments, identifying who the what family those shared segments belong to. I mean it's it's incredible. So this is just gonna be able to one prove what Donnie and I have been saying for years. People think we're exaggerating when we say an entire county. Well, it's more than just a county now. It's like half the state of South Carolina. Two thirds. <laughs> Two thirds. If you have one <laughs> colonial ancestral line, you're related to pretty much two thirds of the state, and it only yep. takes one. And people yep. are like, well, yep. how, how is that possible? Our ancestors, whether they were black, white, Native American, I don't care who they were, were having double-digit kids, anywhere from eight kids to double-digit kids. Those kids were having double-digit kids. Yep. You know, and we're all genetically mixed. All you know, all genetically mixed up. So within a couple of it didn't really take long for that to happen. Yeah. And it's just amazing to have Howard on board. Just so thrilled that um that it's happening.
0: That's right. And Miss Wyman, yes, I will put that link up here as far as sending the raw data. You're talking about the email address. Yes. Is it I will we will put that in the um comments as well. But I can tell you again, it's DNA Memorial Fund at gmail.com. That's that's the name of the link. Um, so and- if, every,
1: if everyone comes back at about 6 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, all of this will be right in the comments section for this video. So everything you need, whether it's the Friedman, be- Friedman work contracts, we'll show the examples of Burrell's contract, Martha's contract. We'll put this email address in there, the link to the Sheila, Sheila Hightower Found- Foundation.
0: Yeah, everything will be right there, and then um, and the and, and yeah, he said and the email address. So you guys, I need to get to my mother. I need to see what's going on, and um, we'll see you guys next next time. And like we said, the name of that particular one. Let's stir that pot. Let's have that conversation because Brian and I we love to stir that pot. <laughs> We love to talk about things that they won't talk about because it's time to talk about them. It's time to bring it out there. So bring your well, questions. Don't be scared.
1: My, well, my, my, my philosophy is the only way that we can actually break down the barriers is by having these conversations, is about talking about the – discussing these kind of, kind of topics. But Donnie's got to go. So we will see you same time, same place in two weeks.
0: All right. Love you guys. Bye.
1: Love you. See you.